We're in the book of Exodus. It's been like three weeks, I think, since we were in Exodus. And uh, so let's uh, get a bit of a review going on here. Exodus, obviously, the big word exit, God delivers them out of the... uh, the, the bondage in Egypt, these Egyptians are now marching to what is called the promised land. We get to chapter 20, and God lays out some laws for this nation. Remember, three things to be a nation. God is making a nation. What does it take? It takes people. Duh. You got to have people to be a nation. Three or four people together, you can have fun and play games, but you ain't a nation. Two and a half million people coming out of Egypt. That number continues to grow as they travel, as they move toward this place where God would have them. People. What else? Land. Well, they're moving to that land. And then it takes some law, some organization. What defines these people and how they live? And uh, we, uh, the last time we were together, we talked about that, how God had laid out this law, had laid out some promises connected to this law, and then he laid out the big question. So what's it going to be? Will you do what it is that God has called you to do, demanded of you, that is connected with great blessing that he will bring upon you when you live that life? And you may recall their answer. It seemed kind of simple and and straightforward. We will do whatever the Lord says. I suppose it's because they haven't read Exodus is the reason they said that. Because had they said that, they would say, God, we need your mercy. We are not able to live this perfect life and to always do what it is you've called us to do. We need your mercy. But instead, they simply said, we will do it. Whatever it is. I mean, how bad could it be? You know, the good stuff that awaits us? Yeah, we'll do that. Well, now we're in chapter 32, my friends. Chapter 32. The sections that we're going to look at here today in chapter 32 to 34 includes two sections. The first is exactly what you're expecting, the breaking of the covenant. But the second aspect, my friends, is the restoring of the covenant. And there's some important lessons we're going to pick up here. Now, you may recall the last time we were together, Moses is up on the mountain. He's at the top of Sinai, and the glory of God is filling this. There's smoke everywhere, and people not to touch the mountain, and the people down below get a little restless. Notice verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they got a little impatient here. Well, where is that guy? I mean, what are we supposed to do? Should we just go without the I mean, you know, come on. What's wrong with him? They got a bit impatient. And so the people gathered themselves. Look at this as a choice. Hey, we're tired of waiting around. Let's come up with our own plan is what they say here. Look at this. So the people, they gathered themselves together to Aaron. Well, Aaron, that's Moses' brother. Surely he knows what's going on. But instead of asking, my friends, they have some demands. And they said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As this Moses, the the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Maybe God killed him up there. So make us some gods. Can you imagine the absurdity of that? Can we just stop for a moment to consider this? 
Here are all this, this, this people who have seen the power of God, the amazing things that God has done. Let's talk about the plague. Let's talk about the fact that they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is the God who has led them. They get a little impatient. I mean, he's up there for 40 days total, okay? So not even a month and a half. And these people are like, I have a great idea. Let's make up our own gods. I mean, they have a God who has saved them, a God who has birthed this nation, a God who has preserved them and provided for them. Remember the manna? Every day they walk outside six days a week and there it is, you know? We'd like a little meat. Let's bring in the quail. And God is so good and caring for them. And at the drop of a hat, they turn their back. I want to tell you something here today that is meant for you. That means all of us. You are as close to God today as you want to be. How'd that feel? It's true. Your relationship with God, like anyone else, is only as good as what you invest in it. You can't blame God, or you can, but my friends, you are as close to God today as you want to be. You're as close to your spouse as you want to be, close to your kids, as whatever relationships, my friends, you have. You've reached exactly as many people with a gospel as you intended to. Think about that. It's true. It's our choices. And so it really kind of comes down to it, friends. I mean, what are we really in for here? You know? Hmm. And so just like that, they walk away from God. We'll make our own gods. And why? Well, that's what they did in Egypt. I mean, and those people had us as slaves. They must have had something good going on. We'll make our own God. And sadly for them, they had the kind of leader that would listen. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters. I mean, whoever's got an earring, take it off and bring it to me. Look at here, verse 3. So the people do it. All the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Apparently, that was a big fashion thing going on there. Okay, verse 4 here. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. I want you to notice that here Aaron is taking action with this gold and he is fashioning with a graven t- this tool and he made a golden calf. It won't be the first time Israel sins with golden calves here, my friends, but this is certainly a good kickoff. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. They had just gotten the law. You remember the second one? You shall make no graven images, nothing. And you're not going to bow down to these things and worship them as a god. Oh, whatever God says we're going to do, 40 days in. And suddenly they're falling down to stuff they made. You imagine that. But there they are, friends. 
Well, we see Israel's sin. And Israel's sin is going to be known as a great sin. Not just one of the ordinary repulsive actions taken by men and women, but a great sin against God. Moses' response here in verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Moses, and I want you to look at the language here. Kind of like parents talking about children who have just written all over the wall. You know? Uh, Melanie, your children are in there writing on the wall. <laughs> Nobody wants to claim those bad kids, right? You know, come on. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Look at the description here. They have turned aside quickly. I mean, they couldn't make it two months of obedience with God. They could not. They turned away quickly out of the way that I commanded them. And they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What's at stake here, friends? The glory of God. Who deserves the glory and the praise and the sacrifices? It is Yahweh. And they have given it to another. It is a man spending time talking to a woman who is not his wife, laughing and telling stories, and that enjoyment belongs to his spouse. It is spiritual adultery, friends. That's what's going on, and we'll see a little bit of identification in that regard as well. These praises belong to him. And now we come to God's pronouncement, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. Do you kind of get the feeling that God's not happy about this? Move out of the way. I'm going to slaughter these people. And I'll start all over through you. I'll clean it out, make a whole new nation. And it's not like God couldn't have done that. You know, it's not just this ramping, raging, and, and yelling, and screaming, and temper by God. This is a God who said, they have violated me. And the penalty is death. By the way, what's the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament? God lays out the law, it's death. It is death. And they have committed spiritual adultery against God. And then I want you to notice Moses here. Friends, look up here. I want to make sure I got your eyes. Be like Moses. All right? Be like Moses. Take a look. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Little 
reminder to God, speaking back what it is that God had already said. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. God, you've made some promises here and I'm going to hold you to those promises. God, you can't go against your word. And the Lord relented. Blessed are the peacemakers who will step up and stand in and pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down to the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back. Bet you didn't know that. (laughs) Or maybe you did. Often those tablets are just pictured as two on the front, okay? Come on, there's not enough room on the front for that. He wrote on the front and the back. So there he is, on the front and the back, and the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Now, Mr. Peacemaker makes it down to the bottom of the mountain, verse 17, and when Joshua had been with him, heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the shouting of victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Why did he break those tablets? Simply because he was angry? I suppose you could make that argument. But let's face it, it's exactly what Israel had already done. They had broken the covenant. A relationship with their God, they simply walked away. And so there is Moses. Wow. So he took the calf that they had made. Look at this. As soon as he came near the uh, the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, you know, he threw those tablets out of his hand, broke them at the foot of the mountain, and he took the calf. I want you to notice this verse 20. He took the calf that they had made. He burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink of it. And you say, what a weird thing to do. And it is. There's no doubt about that. But it certainly gives the picture of Numbers chapter 5, verse 16 to 22, when the Lord gives a test against adultery. That if a woman is accused of adultery, she is to this powder in water mixed up and drink it. It is it is the imagery of adultery, my friends. Everything about this, God is saying, do you realize what you have done? And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you? 
that you have brought such a great sin against them? What a wonderful question. Aaron, what did it take to get you to allow them to do this thing? I mean, it is a reasonable question. I mean, how far did they really have to push to get you here? And the question is, or the answer is, not very far at all. And so Aaron, certainly ashamed of what he had done, said, let not the anger of the Lord burn hot. You know the people. I mean, they're the ones that set on evil. I mean, they said to me, make us gods who should go before us as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what has become of him. So I said to them, let anyone have gold, take it off. They gave it to me, threw it in the fire, and out come the calf. I don't have any responsibility in this. As has been said, billions upon trillions upon Google upon Google of people throughout all the ages. It's not my fault. I didn't make this choice. It's all about choices, friends. Every one of these steps is a choice. And when Moses had saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to derision of their enemies, off they are doing their own thing. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on Yahweh's side? Come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered around, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side of each of you and go to and from the gate and to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of Yahweh, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow blessing upon you this day. The faithful will not tolerate sin. It is not today that we pick up swords. It is today that we go as mediators. It is today that we step up and say, no, this cannot continue. Sin among the brethren. You know, people tend to think that... uh, The sin of Christians is different than the lost, you know? I mean, it's different for us. And it is. It's worse. (laughs) You and I know the Lord. You and I know the cost, the price that was paid, the sacrifice that he endured for it. And yet we continue on. You know, like it's, ah, no worry. Jesus has got my back. Well, yeah. The cross was on his back and nails through his palms, through his feet, the spear through his side to reconcile us. It is a sad case, my friends. It is a sad thing when we do not take note of our choices. Verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And there is Moses, the great mediator. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to Yahweh and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin, and they have made for themselves gods of gold, but now. Can you imagine? This is so absurd. God, will you forgive them? 
Oh, do you not realize? Oh, that's our nature. Our nature is, oh, no, we want justice. But God is a God of grace. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel should go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. There is consequences for sin, my friends. And verse 35 tells us the first consequence of judgment meted out. The first was a plague. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Herod had made. And then perhaps the second even more harsh. In chapter 33 and verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Depart now, go up from here, you and the people from whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So go to a land, a land, I'm sorry, flowing <laughs> with milk and honey. That was an interesting image in my head. <laughs> so go, but notice this, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And so the Lord, who has led them as a cloud in the day and a fire at night, says, I will still send my angels before you. You know, oftentimes we don't realize this, but uh, in Joshua, Joshua is going into this land, this great military victory from place to place, and they are, they are, they are moving people out. But you know what? It wasn't just war. You know, it was God who sent his angel before to drive them out. He even sent hornets to make it uncomfortable to live there. This is God's mercy even on these wicked people. But some of the people there, you know, some of it was just plain judgment on their sin. But even in spite of their sin, God still had mercy. An angel before them to drive them out, hornets, all kinds of reasons for them to leave. But those who would not saw the armies of Joshua. Wow. So here the Lord says, you go, I'll send my angels still, but I'm not going with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and certainly as I see your sin, you won't make it there. You won't make it there. Hmm. Wow. So therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb on onward, remnants from Egypt, and they took them off. It's a choice for a change in life, a new direction. And here is the covenant restored. We've seen it damaged. And friends, we really need to take some time to think on this. I mean, maybe not here. We don't have the time perhaps this morning, but maybe this afternoon to really think about the significance of our own sin, what it says about our God, what it says about what we believe, what it proclaims to a world about the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus. Sin doesn't matter. Hmm? 
Wow. So there's the plague, there's the sending Israel on off alone, and now comes the restoration. And once again, Moses the mediator here in chapter 33 and verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. This is not the tabernacle. This is a tent. And uh, while the tabernacle is a giant tent, that's not what this is referring to here. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tents, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And notice this, my friend. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship at his tent door. The presence of God being manifest in this cloud. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses. How? Face to face. Well, what do you mean? As a man speaks to his friend, that is the way the Lord used to speak to Moses. So when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to Yahweh, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please now show me your ways not often a question or a, a prayer request on our list. Show me your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And there is the answer. I will go with you. I suppose all they needed to do was ask. And he said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And it was exactly that that set them apart. That the one true God manifested his presence among his people. Others simply had gods of their own minds, of their own creation. But the people of Israel had a God that dwelled in their midst. It is one of the things that sets the church apart, by the way, as well. You and I have the Spirit of God. Our body is a temple of the Spirit of God, whom we have in us. It is a deposit it is God's presence with us, and it sets us apart. So is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the answer, of course, is yes. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. That is intimacy, my friends. It is one thing to recognize someone it's another thing to know them. And here is Moses' example. Moses said, please show me your glory. 
And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of a rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God revealed a little more of himself to Moses. The God who is spirit somehow showed a back. I'm not sure I entirely understand this, but I know that Moses asked for more of God and God gave it to him. What a great example, my friends. Let's remember that quote. The intimacy you have with God is the intimacy you've chosen to have. All of your relationships is what you've chosen to have. Hmm. So Moses is now the proof of the reconciliation here. Notice the recon- the, this, this restoration of God with his people. How do we know about it? Well, we got some new tablets. Remember the tablets that Moses broke? The Lord said to Moses, chapter 34, verse 1, Cut yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by morning and come up in the morning to the Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain and no one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze upon the mountain. And so Moses cut two tablets of stone, you know, doing what God told him to do. It's a simple procedure there really. So just like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded him. It's a good pattern right there. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone, and Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the children of the children to the third and fourth generation. It is the impact of sin that is passed from generation to generation, my friends. Sin is a dangerous, deadly thing. Sin is the most expensive thing in the world. It's why we have locks on our doors and on our windows. It's why we have police patrolling the streets. It's why we have military and we send billions upon billions of dollars because of sin, selfishness. People die every year. It is the most expensive thing out there. But God is a God who forgives. And God is a God who renews his promises. Notice here in verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. What does that mean? (laughs) 
That is the picture. If it's not the face, it is certainly the heart, my friends. I will do what I want to do. It's what we do. We've got to change, my friends. Choices have consequences. And so they are a stiff-necked people. Hmm. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for your inheritance. And he said, behold. The Lord said, behold, I am making a covenant. And this is God's part. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. In all the people among you, among whom you are, shall see the work of Yahweh. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, here it is again. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and of course, the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst, lest they grab you and pull you into their own sin. And this is Israel's part. Verse 13, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim for you shall worship no other God for Yahweh whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, you are invited and of course, you want to be a good neighbor, so you eat of their sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and drag your sons into it with them. Make your sons whore after their gods. It is a vile picture of people who walk away from their God. So you shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt and all that opened the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of the cow and the sheep, the firstborn of the donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Belongs to me. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, and all of these laws being recounted yet once again. This is the restoration of the people. Are we ready to go back into this covenant relationship? And so God has re renewed his glory, his promises, now this covenant. You know, in chapter 34, in verse uh, 28, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate, drank, uh, ate bread nor drank water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, I want you to notice this, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he had come down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face was shining because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. 
But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel that he had all that was uh, commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Hmm. Wow. And so restoration, my friends. We have some questions perhaps to answer. If we wrap it up, we know this, that God is quick to forgive his people. God is quick to forgive his people. So should we. God is quick to forgive his people. So is we. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul reminds us that we, the church, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. They broke this relationship. Moses, the mediator, stepped up and brought the two together again. But God is quick to forgive. So should we. You and I, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Specifically, that means primarily leading others into a relationship with God. Reconciling them to God. But secondarily, it certainly means reconciling relationships among us. So why would anyone listen to an invitation to reconcile with God when we are unwilling to reconcile with one another? Who are you angry at this morning? It's time to make it right, friends. It's time to make it right. The fact is, if you have sinned against God or man, you need to be seeking reconciliation. It is why Jesus died. To reconcile us to him and to reconcile us with one another. So if you've been harmed by someone, the role of a Christian is to forgive as we have been forgiven. Forgive, my friends. I can give you reasons why, but the most important reason is this, is this is what we've been called to do by the God who has saved us. And remember this, friends. Every one of us here today is as close to God as you have chosen to be. Maybe it's time for a new choice.